Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. And today we're going to see a contrast to, 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 those, uh, to those children and that helplessness there. We're going to see a contrast in our subject, the rich young ruler, a man who was seeking to enter the kingdom and eternal life by doing something. So let's read our passage. Uh, let's read our passage. Luke 18, starting in verse 18. We're going to read through verse 30. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I've kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, though it pierces our hearts. Lord, we we thank you that you are a merciful God, that you seek to rid us of idolatry and of self-reliance, and that you have promised by your Spirit to cleanse us, and by the blood of your Son to cleanse us from all sin, and then to empower us to walk in this life, making us more like Jesus. We ask you to do these things this morning and bless the preaching of your word. Amen. And so in this passage, uh, we, we see that idolatry, idolatry is blinding and deadly, And that Jesus, he preaches the law to this rich young ruler to expose his heart. And so first we we see it, we're we're going to look at two revealing questions. Notice it in verse 18. It says, "And and the ruler asked him, 
Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so we see the ruler asking him this question, right? In Matthew's account of the story, it says, Behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And then if you read the account in Mark, it gives us a little more detail. And it says that a man ran up and he knelt before Jesus and he asked him what he must do. And so I I wanted to add that to say that this young man, he seems to be very sincere. Um, He's not like that, that smug young lawyer that comes up to test Jesus. I mean, he's coming up and it seems to be sincerely asking, sincerely seeking eternal life. This is a man who respects Jesus, apparently. He calls him good teacher and bows to honor him. And as I was thinking through this, as we've had a lot of families sending your kids off to college, specifically the girls, and in our youth group, we've, got, we, we've had a lot of girls in our youth group, and I've seen parents tearfully send them off. And I was thinking, this would probably be a guy that you would want them to meet, this, this type of guy um, out there in Starkville. You know, a guy that says yes ma'am and no ma'am. He prays at the dinner table. He does CrossFit. He might work at the bookstore. Um, he's in the engineering program. You know, he reads the classics. He's an FCA huddle leader. Um, it's that kind of guy. And he's here. He's face to face with Jesus. And he's asking him about eternal life. And as I was studying through this passage, uh, reading uh, Dale Ralph Davis and Jerem Bars, that they were saying, you know, this, this passage uh, or this situation would be any and every evangelist's dream come true. You know, there's no like pre-evangelism apologetics. There's no need to prove the existence of God. There's no need uh, to prove the reality of an afterlife. Or that there's a moral law. Here it is all set up for Jesus. And so we think, surely he's going to lead him down the Roman road, you know? Or evangelism explosion. And I don't say that to knock those gospel-sharing methods, but I think that's what we would do, or myself, that's what I would do automatically, just jump right in and start sharing these things. But what is the greatest evangelist ever to live? What does he do here? Does he give him the gospel here? And I'd argue that he doesn't, not in this moment. Jesus preaches the law to him. And I, I think it's, it's good for us as we see this passage, it's good to remind us or a good reminder for us that when we're talking to someone, whether it's our children or uh, someone who is a friend who is lost, it is good to listen to them. They say a lot in the questions that they ask and the things that they say. They say a lot about their hearts. And so it's good to listen It's good to to learn to ask good questions, as we're going to see here in a second. This man, he was steeped. This is why Jesus preaches the law to him. He was steeped in pride and self-sufficiency. And it's revealed in his first question. He asked Jesus, what must I do? What good deed can I do to inherit eternal life? He thinks that it's about doing That he can do this one thing. He's under the impression that man has it within himself to do something big enough, something good enough to inherit eternal life. 
And then this leads to Jesus' revealing question. Notice it says, Jesus says, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God, except God alone. And you know the commandments. And then he lays out the second table of the law, the last six commandments for the man. The ones dealing with neighbor love. But what about this question that Jesus asked him? Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know, some think, let's say leaders of of certain cults think that Jesus here is denying that he was God in the flesh. They would say that. They would point to this verse and say, look, he says no one's good but God. He's not God. But that's sloppy. That's sloppy exegesis. I would say that it actually speaks more to the deity of Christ. His response speaks more to his deity than it does to him not being God. Jesus isn't saying that he himself is not God. He isn't saying that he himself is not good. So what is he doing? He wants the young man to think about what it is that he is saying in calling him good. And he wants the young man to see that he himself, the rich young ruler, is not good. So Jesus asked this probing question to get him to think. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now let's look at two revealing responses. You know, apparently the young man, he doesn't listen to what Jesus asks. My wife, uh, uh, you know, she says, this is a problem that I have. Uh, maybe, maybe many men suffer from this problem. I know myself and my sons, we suffer from this. We don't listen well. It's what, it's what I've heard. Um, and it's true. But man, we can, we can take that back. We can listen. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a curse on men. Um, but Jesus here, he says, no one is good but God. No one. And so this would include the rich young ruler that's standing before him. He tells him, you're not good. But he doesn't, he doesn't listen. Um, this, then he reminds him of the law. He says, you know the commandments, and he lists off the, the, neighborly, you know, the, the neighbor love commandments, that second table of the ten. And in quick fire zeal, the young man says, oh, I've kept all these from my youth. You know, perhaps he had done a good job of externally you know, conforming to the law. You know, as Paul even spoke of his former life, he says, according to the law, I was blameless. There's a way that we can look at the law. We can dull its edge. Um, Maybe this young man had no real gross public sin. But do you buy it? Do you buy that he had perfectly fulfilled the law? That he had kept those commandments from his youth? Jesus is revealing his shallow view of the law's demands. In his shallow view of the holiness of God and the holiness that God demands of us. He's, trying, he's, he's revealing that. You know, as, think of this. As an image bearer of God, and we are all image bearers of God. As an image bearer of God created by him and for him, anything less than perfection is unacceptable. He will accept nothing short of perfection 
Jesus said that. He said, you must be perfect for your heavenly Father is perfect. And so do you view yourself and your obedience the way that this man viewed his? Have you really dug into the Ten Commandments and looked you know, at what they require and what they forbid at the heart level? I think I've been reminded over the, uh, over the course of this year to pick up the Westminster Larger Catechism. I would encourage everyone to, to pick up the Westminster Larger Catechism, go to the section on the Ten Commandments, and just see what they've laid out. They don't, they don't produce an exhaustive list of the sins, com, uh, the, the sins forbidden and the obedience commanded, but they produce an extensive list. And so I would encourage you to do that. Jerry Bridges, in his book, The Gospel for Real Life, he gets into the heart of neighbor love, the neighbor love commandments. And just listen to this. Let them them sit with you, because as I read it, it it, it stung me. Because we can look at the law, and we can just look at the the words, and we go, well, I don't murder. I, I don't commit adultery. I don't covet my neighbor's thing. Like We can just read them and dull the edge. But think about this. When, when, when we're thinking about loving neighbor, do you cherish for your neighbors the same love that you bear towards yourself? Honestly. In your dealings with others, do you ever show selfishness, irritability, peevishness, or indifference? If you do, that's sin. Do you have a prideful feeling of superiority over other people? Do you talk to others about other people's failings? Do you resent real or perceived wrongs, or are you always ready to forgive? Are you always kind and patient, never envious or boastful, never proud or rude, never self-seeking, Are you slow to anger, and do you keep no record of wrongs? If we don't hold ourselves up to the standard of God's holiness, we will be like this rich young ruler and think that we are just fine where we are. And so we must look into God's word, ask for him to reveal our hearts. As I was thinking through this about, you know, um, holding myself up to some standard or comparing myself to some standard that's not the real standard. I was thinking about in high school, I was 25 to 30 pounds lighter. I fancied myself to be quite the soccer player, okay? I thought I was good, really good. I looked at the players around me, and I was like, man, you know, I got it going on. And then in the year 2000, it's my junior year, Northwest Rankin had this ninth grader. It wasn't T. Mac Howard. It was Justin Mapp, and this ninth grader that I'd heard a lot about, he, he was coming up and he was playing for Northwest Rankin. And I heard about him, heard he was really good, but I knew how good I was and I wasn't really worried about it. And we started the game. <clears throat> you know, they, they kicked off, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm playing defense at this point in my career, and I'm watching him just weave through the midfield like melted butter. And, uh, and then I get over on him, and I'm trying to keep up with him. And I, I think I've got him where I want him. He's 35 yards outside the box, or out, 35 yards away from the goal, which is not a great place to take a shot. And he's on the left touch line. And so I think he's got no angle. 
and he rips a shot. It goes right by my head, and I turn and look, and it's knuckling towards the upper 90 of the goal, which is where you would want to place it. And our goalie, he jumped and saved it, and that, that, that was amazing. But the thing I walked away from that day is I realized he is not like me. He is better. And I could work all day long, and I wasn't going to be Justin Mapp. He went on to play for the U.S. national team and played professional soccer. And the point in, in saying this is, is to say, until I compared myself with a higher standard, I thought I was, I was good. And so we need to do that with the law. <clears throat> so Jesus, he responds to the young man who, who thinks he's kept this law. We saw the young man's response. He's kept it. Now here's Jesus' response. He says, one thing you still lack. He says, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And so this is a heavy command. Go sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And I want to clear two things up real quick. When we read this passage, um, we, can fall, we can fall into many camps, but two that I've seen um, you know, most prevalently uh, would, would be one side would be, I, I, I read of a, um, a certain theologian on Twitter. Um, he said this, he said, I'll never get over the fact that when Jesus was asked how to get into heaven, he basically said, don't be rich. And so that's this one side that says, oh, this is a universal command to all people in all times. All rich people are going to hell, is, is basically what he was saying. And we do need to take into account that there are many warnings against the love of money. But that's not what Jesus is teaching here. I mean, he is teaching we ought not love money and have other gods, but he's not saying all rich people are going to hell. The other side is a more familiar side maybe to some of you and one that I was caught up in. And that would be um, the side of John MacArthur in his book, The Gospel According to Jesus. He, he viewed this passage as a gospel passage. And that Jesus uh, was calling this man to fully submit to him for salvation. Or in the words of John Piper, to treasure Christ above all things and then be saved. And I love those men. I love many things that they've said, but, but who can do that? Like in coming to Christ, who, can, who, who actually treasures Christ above all things? We want that. We desire that. But that's not what he's calling this man to do here. I think we need to regain the Reformation principle of distinguishing between law and gospel. This is not Jesus preaching the gospel to the man. You know, when we come to this passage, we need to ask, or when we come to any passage, is Jesus calling us to do something, or is he telling us, telling us of something that has been done? This is Jesus telling that man to do something, and it says the man went away, sorrowful, for he was extremely rich. This is Jesus preaching the law to the man's heart, far from dulling its edge. He's actually sharpening the edge. And the rich young ruler claimed to have kept the law, kept the tab second table of law dealing with his relationship to fellow man, but Jesus brings him to the first table, the law of God that, that, that speaks of our love for God. 
You know, think about it. What, what does the first commandment say? It's, uh, the Lord says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And how did Jesus summarize the first table of the law when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, and as Rob read from Deuteronomy, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And so here Jesus wasn't just reciting, because he could, he could have just recited the first four commandments, and the guy could have said, well, I've kept those. Jesus applies the law to his heart. He gets specific in telling the man to go sell all that he had and give it to the poor. He was exposing this man's false god of money and possessions. And in calling the man to follow him, he was calling him to follow the one true God. And this man walked away saddened, for he was very rich. And just think about this. What a tragedy. What a tragedy to walk away from the one who owns everything because you have some crumbs. What a tragedy. You know, Thomas Terry, he's a pastor in Portland. He says, what is concealed in the heart of having is revealed in the losing of things. We see how, how much our heart clings to things when we lose them or there is a threat of losing them. And this man could not part with his possessions. To the damnation of his soul. We know in Jonah it says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Jesus wants the young man to see where his heart's devotion is. He wants the young man to see where creation has his heart in a chain. Jesus wants us to check our priorities. Is, your, is, is our treasure in heaven or is it here on earth? Where is your heart? What has your heart? What can you, uh, you could not imagine parting with this thing, whatever it may be. What is that to you? You know, as John Calvin said, our hearts are, are, are idol factories. And the fact that the heart churns out idols with ease and the reality mixed with this young man's response, it led Jesus to say some unsettling words. After seeing it all go down, Jesus says, How difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. You know, this is Jesus using hyperbole to show the impossibility of self-salvation. In, you know, in those days, um, they, they believed that riches or people who were wealthy, they had the blessing of God upon them. And so uh, the, the disciples, the poor disciples, they see this, that the, the, it's, it's difficult or impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they, it leads them to these words. They say, well, who can be saved? If the rich aren't saved, then how are we poor going to be? Who can be saved? Because it seems like no one. And then Jesus gives us the answer of hope. He's not dulling the blade. He's using the, the sword to steer them to the right fountain. He said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Jesus was not asking this young man to sell everything and earn his salvation sell everything and distribute it and earn his salvation. 
His command was to lead to a real assessment of his heart and lead him to an end in himself, or an end of himself. And the proper, what would the proper response of the young man be in that situation? Well, his response was, well, I'm not doing that. And he, t- he tucks tail and runs because he, he loved, money was his God. But what is the proper response of a contrite sinner? It would be more like this. Lord, I see now that I have not kept your law as it should be. I stand condemned and I now see that there is nothing I can do to inherit eternal life. Lord, what can you do that I may inherit eternal life? Left to ourselves, we're without hope and can only await the judgment of God. But Jesus, the obedient Son, the God-man that lived a perfect life, the one who always loved the Father and did what pleased Him, the one who always loved His neighbor as Himself and loved you as a brother and sister. This Jesus, unlike the rich young ruler who clung to His wealth and was stingy towards the poor, This Jesus, as the Scriptures say, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though He was rich, He's God, He owns everything. Though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor so that you by His poverty might become rich. And that's not speaking about money. We are all poor sinners in need of a rich Savior, one who has blessings, spiritual blessings, material blessings. He has everything. But this is speaking of spiritual blessing here. This rich young ruler, he didn't realize that he was trading a holiday at the sea, as C.S. Lewis put it. He did not realize that he was trading a holiday at the sea for making mud pies in the slums. Or as Paul said, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I mean, could you imagine going to the bank and telling Peyton, he's the first one that pops in my head, there are probably many bankers in here, could you imagine going to the bank there and him saying, give me $20 and I'll give you the keys to the vault? I mean, you'd be foolish if it was legal. You'd be foolish to not hang on, or to hang on to the 20 and not take him up on his offer. It's so ridiculous to even consider that. It's a no-brainer. You got the vault. So why? In the world, would we play games with our souls? Why on earth, when, when Jesus, when he's told us, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Why would we play games with it and cling to worthless idols and not to the one who has created all things? You know, and as we learned a few weeks ago, uh, we kind of got out of order I preached through a passage, uh, Zacchaeus, a couple weeks ago, um, which actually comes after this passage. And I think it's placed there specifically because in Zacchaeus, we see a rich man who quit playing games. He passed through hell and hot water to see Jesus and to find him, only to find out that Jesus was actually seeking him. And in response, Zacchaeus, in response to the grace that was shown to him, He, in his gratitude, used his wealth to repay those he had wronged more than what the law required, and he used it to help the poor. May we do the same thing in response to the gospel of God. May we loosely hold on to the things of this earth and be ready to share with those who have need. 
As Dale Ralph Davis has said, commitment to Jesus Christ will never impoverish you. Because if you have him, you have everything. Let's pray. Dear Lord, um, thank you for uh, this reminder this morning that idolatry often blinds us, or always blinds us, and it's always deadly. Um, Lord, if it were left up to ourselves, we would be doomed for destruction. May we feel the weight of the law. If there are those in here who do not know you, they feel the weight of it and they run to Christ, the one who will receive them with nothing in their hands. And those in here who are believers, Lord, that you would help us to freely give and and, and freely use our resources to help those in need and that we would cleanse ourselves of our idols, that we would turn away from them. Please help us this day. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.